Well, this morning, we're going to turn now to God's Word and continue on in our series in the book of Colossians. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we have been looking recently at Paul's uh, description. What's going on here? What is this? Top secret. What in the world? Good morning, Lakes Free Church. You have been placed in the Chisago Lakes area to be a loving, biblical, and relevant witness to the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to glorify God by making healthy, multiplying disciples who will work together to reach the world for Jesus Christ. This task will not be easy. Your spiritual adversary, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, you have a secret weapon at your disposal, the Holy Spirit who empowers you. Through faith and perseverance, many victories will be won. And do not forget, the Lord is with you always. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. What? Whoa, that was close. Oh, man. Wow, we weren't expecting that this morning. Church, we've been given a mission. And the reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here, you are an agent of Jesus Christ. And as agents of Jesus Christ, we have been called to a great task, to go into all the world and share the good news of the gospel and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, the question before us this morning is simply this, will we choose to accept this mission? And if so, what does this mean? And what will this look like for us? Well, friends, this morning, as we continue on in our journey through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, we're going to discover what it means to be agents of Jesus Christ, people living on mission for him. And there's probably no better example for us to look to in order to understand what it means to be an agent of Jesus Christ than to look to the model provided for us by the Apostle Paul. See, the Apostle Paul was a man whose life was literally turned upside down by his calling to be an agent of Jesus Christ. Paul started out as a a zealous Pharisee, a Jewish persecutor of the early Christian church. He was determined to stamp out this growing Christian movement that was worshiping Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Paul had gained permission to go throughout the Middle East and shut down churches and persecute the church. And Paul was on his way to Damascus in Syria to shut down the church there when he encountered the resurrected Jesus. And that encounter with Jesus transformed Paul's life. It changed everything. He went from a persecutor of the faith to a proclaimer of the faith and became the world's greatest agent of Jesus Christ. And all of history. And so again, there's probably no better model to look to for what that means for us to be an agent of Jesus Christ 
than to look to the model given for us, set for us by the Apostle Paul, this man whose life was transformed as a result of his calling to be an agent of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're continuing in the letter to the Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, into chapter 2, verse 5. I want to read our passage for us this morning, and then we're going to come back and look at Paul's model here and what Paul's model has to share with us about our calling to be agents of Jesus Christ. Starting in verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Here in this biographical description that Paul provides about his ministry, we, we get some hints as to what it means to be an agent of Jesus Christ. Paul highlights three things in particular that I want to share with us this morning to to help us understand our call as agents of Jesus Christ. The, The first thing that we see here in our passage this morning is that as agents of Christ, we are called to suffer for the cause. Now, now, Paul wants to get this reality out in front right away so that there's no mistakes about it. And understand, friends, this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus... We're told that that will entail suffering. Suffering for the cause of the gospel. If there was ever someone who understood the reality of suffering for the cause, it was the Apostle Paul. Probably no person in history went through the kinds of ordeals that Paul went through for the sake of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Verses 23 through 28, we read about some of the incredible sufferings that Paul went through in order to advance the cause of the gospel. He talks about experiencing beatings and floggings and shipwrecks and imprisonments. Paul went through all kinds of trials and tribulations in order to advance the gospel. And why was Paul willing to bear all these burdens? Well, he tells us in verse 24 of our passage this morning, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Why was Paul willing to go through all of these trials and hardships? It was for the sake of the church. It was for the sake of the church that he was writing this letter to the church in Colossae, a church that he had never even met personally. But he says, I was suffering for your sake. He was not only suffering for the sake of the Colossian church, but he was suffering for the sake of the church universal, the church around the world, and the church into the future. Paul was willing to lay it all on the line in order to advance the good news and raise up disciples of Jesus Christ. See, Paul recognized that he was a part of God's wondrous plan of salvation for the world. And that plan was worth his suffering. Friends, remember what Jesus called us to in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus tells his disciples, this commission is as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, this right here, this commission is why Paul rejoiced in his sufferings. Paul recognized that through his sufferings, the mission of God was advancing. The gospel was being proclaimed. Disciples were being raised up. Churches were being planted and growing. It was for all these reasons that Paul was willing to suffer. And it's also why Paul, in our passage this morning, this is what he's talking about when he says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, that's an interesting phrase, and people wrestle, well, what what does that mean? Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Well, friends, understand, Paul's not saying that there was anything lacking in what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Paul understood that Jesus' death on the cross was wholly sufficient. Nothing was lacking from what he accomplished. In fact, we just saw last week in chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, how we were alienated from God, but through Christ we became reconciled to God. Christ accomplished it all on the cross. He bought and purchased our reconciliation through his shed blood. There was nothing lacking in what Christ accomplished. But what Paul is talking about here is his understanding that for us as agents of Jesus Christ, we now must bear the additional afflictions that come with seeing to the advance of the gospel and the advance of the church throughout the world making more disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul understood that that was a costly mission, and it involved suffering. Friends, suffering for the cause of the gospel is an inevitable part of our calling as agents of Jesus Christ. You need to understand that. If you're a man or woman living on mission for Jesus, you can expect to suffer. And why? Well, it's because as we saw last week, this world is fundamentally hostile to God. 
and to his authority over their lives. This world doesn't want to hear about the reality of their rebellion from God and their need for reconciliation with him. Friends, when we proclaim this truth, this essential message, you can expect to face persecution. You can expect to face suffering because the world doesn't want any part of the gospel. That's the reality of our fallen, sinful, rebellious nature. And so when we proclaim the good news, we can expect to face opposition. Just a few days ago, Thursday, I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and I came across a pastor friend who posted a video, a video from a pastor in Zanzibar, Tanzania. And my pastor friend just said at the top of his tweet, pray for Sharif. When you click the video and you watch, you discover Brother Sharif recently, just this Thursday, had a note posted on the front door of his house. In the video, Brother Sharif reads the note. The note says, Brother Sharif, you only have a few days remaining. We don't want to hear any more about Jesus Christ and the Bible. And if you don't stop teaching the gospel, we will kill you. Brother Sharif asked the church around the world to pray for him. This was just this past Thursday. Christians face this kind of persecution on a daily basis all over the world. Men and women who are serving as agents of Jesus, willing to suffer for the cause of advancing the good news of the gospel. Friends, Jesus himself told us that we should be prepared to suffer. In John 13, 16, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. Jesus said, if I suffer, you can expect to suffer. In Mark 8, 34 through 35, Jesus told his followers that they need to be prepared to take up their own cross and follow him. To follow Jesus comes with a cost. In Matthew 24, verse 9, Jesus said, you're going to be hated by all nations. Because of me and for my sake. Friends, this has been the reality for agents of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. When we proclaim the good news of Jesus, you can expect to face persecution. You can expect to face suffering. We've been so fortunate here in the United States over the last 200 years not to experience the kind of extreme persecution that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world face on a daily basis. But even here in the United States and in the Western world, we, we've seen the increase of persecution against the church. Even in recent months, we've seen Christian pro-life pregnancy centers all across the country firebombed, vandalized as a result of their pro-life stance. Our kids go to school in public schools where every day they face the constant assault of a progressive secular agenda trying to proclaim a worldview that is antithetical to God's word. Teachers walking on eggshells, tiptoeing around these issues that are so opposed to what we believe as followers of Jesus. We've seen realities like Christian businessmen and Christian women, businesswomen having their businesses attacked and, and uh, lawsuits brought against them because they will not support our culture's LGBTQ agenda. 
taken through the court systems, attacked by district attorneys, attorney generals all around the country. We even saw during the pandemic how churches were shut down while liquor stores, marijuana dispensaries, casinos, and even in some parts of the country, strip clubs were allowed to remain open. Friends, there is a growing hostility to the church of Jesus Christ, even in the Western world, and we need to be prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ. And the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, are we prepared like the Apostle Paul to suffer even with a spirit of rejoicing? Verse 24, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, for the sake of the church. Why was Paul able to rejoice in suffering? How can we rejoice in suffering? Friends, the, the only way we can rejoice in our sufferings is if, number one, we commit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We recognize that he's our ultimate authority. He's our king. He's our master. He's the one we follow. We can only rejoice in our sufferings when we keep our priorities straight. We don't live for worldly things, but we live for the sake of the cause, the advancement of the gospel. We live, as we've said here over the years so many times, to keep the main thing the main thing. Putting Jesus and the gospel first and foremost in our mission. How do we rejoice in suffering? We rejoice in suffering by fixing our hope on eternity. Not getting caught up in this world. Not forgetting that we are just temporary strangers, aliens passing through. This world is not our home, but our true home is in heaven. Friends, when we keep our eyes fixed on the hope of eternity, we can suffer with rejoicing. Amen. Paul says, as agents of Jesus Christ, we are called to suffer for the cause. We need to be prepared. Paul goes on in our passage next, secondly, to point out as agents of Christ, we are called to serve for the mission. We're called to serve for the mission, verses 25 through 29. Paul here in verse 25, he says, of which, he's talking about his, his service of Christ, his service for the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. We're called to serve for the mission. Now you look at that word there, Paul says, I became a minister. You might be thinking, oh good, I'm off the hook, right? I mean, he's talking about ministers. No, friends, he is not just talking about professional ministers. The word Paul uses there for minister in the Greek is diakonos, which means minister, servant, or agent. Where do we get our title for this morning's message? We are agents of Jesus Christ. This applies to every single one of us. We are all diakonos in service of the Lord, in service of the mission. We are agents of Christ. And in verses 25 through 29, Paul defines for us the agent's mission, message, strategy, target, and goal. Friends, what is our mission as agents of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us first in verse 25, our mission is to make the word of God fully known. That's our mission. Same mission Paul had. Our mission is to make the word of God fully known. Well, what's our message? How do we do that? The message, Paul tells us in verses 26 through 27, 
he refers to it as the mystery. The mystery. The mystery, our message that we share is about Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. The mystery that had been long awaited throughout history as people waited on God's promised Messiah. The one he said was coming, the deliverer, the reconciler. The mystery was made clear in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to describe this mystery as including the reality that the Gentiles have now been brought into God's plan of salvation. That that, that God's plan of salvation didn't just apply to the Jewish people, but was now made available for the whole world. That's why many of us are here this morning. Friends, unless you're a Jewish person, you are a Gentile. And it's because of the mystery of the gospel that we all have been brought into God's plan of salvation. The, the mystery, Paul says in verses 26 through 27, is the reality of Christ in you. What an incredible blessing when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Christ comes and lives within us by his Spirit. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. This is part of the mystery of the gospel. This is our message as agents of Jesus Christ. When we talk about, as Christians, the importance of inviting Jesus Christ into your heart or asking Jesus Christ into your life, why do we do that? It's because the essential mystery of the gospel is the reality that God wants to take up residence in your heart. As Jesus says in Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in. And friends, there's nothing more important than having that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the message that we proclaim. This is the mystery of the gospel that God has made known. And it's now our calling to take this good news to the world. Paul goes on and he highlights our strategy in verse 28. What's our strategy? Our strategy is proclamation. In him, we proclaim. And our proclamation consists of two parts, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Our strategy is proclamation. We have to tell others about Jesus Christ. Paul says this proclamation consists of two parts. The first part is warning. The word warning there in the Greek is an interesting word. It literally means straighten out your thinking. That's what warning means. It means straighten out thinking. And so Paul says part of our proclamation of the message of the mystery is straightening out people's thinking because they're thinking wrong. They don't know the truth. Why do we need to straighten out thinking? It's because of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Jude 3 tells us as a result of this, we must now contend earnestly for the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. There's a truth, gospel truth that we must contend for. Warning the world, straightening out their thinking, 
2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 says, how do we do this? We do this by destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to, <coughs> to obey Christ. Friends, this is what Paul means when he talks about our proclamation, including warning. We need to straighten out people's thinking because there are false beliefs and false philosophies and false teachings that lead people astray, blinding the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the truth of the gospel. And so our proclamation contains a warning. I, I, I was talking recently with a friend from college and he was sharing with me about another close friend of ours who has recently walked away from his faith. He's embraced this, this recent term called exvangelical. It's a new term that many are using to talk about their deconversion. They're, they're walking away from the church. They're no longer following the Christian faith. And our friend, he, he's bought into the lies of the world. The, the, the Bible's just a bunch of myths. Jesus was just a good moral teacher. God doesn't judge us for how we want to live our lives. He's bought all of these lies. What does he need? He needs his thinking straightened out. He needs the warning that comes through our proclamation. Friends, this is part of our calling as agents of Christ to proclaim truth to the world, correcting the falsehoods and errors that our enemy tries to deceive people with. Paul then goes on and he tells us the second part of our proclamation is about teaching. Paul says teaching people with all wisdom. Now, now what does that mean? What wisdom is Paul talking about? He's talking about God's wisdom. Where is God's wisdom found? God's wisdom, friends, is found in God's word. And so we teach the word of God. That's part of our proclamation as agents of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, the apostle Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, we teach the word of God because the word of God is his revealed truth to equip us for life and life abundant. And so this is, this is what God has called us to as his agents. He then goes on, Paul then goes on to describe for us our target. What's our target as agents of Christ? Our target in verse 28, Paul says, is everyone. Look at verse 28. He uses the word everyone three times. Who are we targeting with this proclamation of the mystery of the gospel and the truth that God has revealed to us? Who are we targeting? We're targeting everyone, the whole world. Why? It's because as we read in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God wants none to perish and all to come to repentance. And so as agents of Jesus Christ, we are called to go to the whole world sharing the good news with everyone. And what is our goal? Paul tells us our goal here in verse 28. He says, the goal, him we proclaim, why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Friends, that's the goal. As agents of Jesus Christ, we are seeking to present everyone mature in Christ. That word mature in the Greek is teleon. It's a form of the word telos, which means end or goal. And Paul here is saying that the end 
for which we were made as human beings is maturity in Christ. What, what does that mean? He describes it like this in Romans 8.29. He says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Friends, that's the end. That's the goal for all of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. It's maturity, as Paul describes it. What is maturity? Maturity is about being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's about our lives increasingly looking like Christ. It's about the Holy Spirit transforming us and sanctifying us and growing in us the Spirit of Christ, so that when the world sees us, it sees Christ in us. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the goal. This is maturity. This is what we are called to as agents of Jesus Christ. Friends, understand, this is the what, it's the how, it's the who, it's the why for which we serve as Christ's agents in this world. This is what it's all about, all these points. Now, friends, do you ever wonder what your purpose in life is? You ever wrestle with that? What's my purpose in life? Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, you don't ever have to wrestle with that question again because this is your purpose right here. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are an agent of Christ. You are called to serve the mission through the message. Your strategy is clear. Your target is everyone. And the goal is to see people come to maturity in Jesus Christ. You don't need to wrestle anymore with your mission and what your purpose in life is because God has made it clear. And every single one of us here can contribute and has a role to play in this mission. God's given us all different gifts, different talents, different passions, different abilities, different means. All of us are unique, but in our uniqueness, God unites us in the cause, the mission of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world. And I want you to notice in verse 29 what Paul tells us. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Friends, this is a great truth because what Paul tells us here is that when we're serving on mission for the sake of the gospel, we don't serve in our own power. We serve in God's power. God's power that's at work through us. Do you ever struggle with feeling the presence of God in your life? Do you ever wonder if God's really there? If, 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 he, if he's real? Friends, I want you to know this morning, there's no better way to experience the reality and power of God in your life than to commit to serving on mission for him. When you serve on mission for the sake of the gospel, God's spirit empowers you, begins to work through you. You begin to sense God's reality in your life like never before. There's nothing greater than that. My prayer for all of us is that none of us would miss out on that opportunity. That we would all have the joy of experiencing the power of God at work through us when we commit to serving on mission. Paul then goes on thirdly in our passage in verses 1 through 5. He says as agents of Jesus Christ we're called to struggle for the church. 
He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Paul is struggling for the church. The, the word struggle there in the Greek is agon. It's, it's where we get our English word agony from or agonizing. Paul's literally struggling. It, it's a word with athletic connotations. It's, it has the imagery of an athlete who's battling, who's racing, who's competing, who's giving their all who's not quitting. And Paul says, I'm struggling on your behalf. He's struggling to the utmost of his ability for this church. These are Christians he hadn't even met before. And yet he's struggling for them. Here he is in prison and he continues his struggle for this church. He's in prison and yet he continues to do the most he can do, which is pray and write letters and receive and send emissaries. He's doing everything he potentially can struggling to help build up this church. He was agonizing for them. And friends, as agents of Christ, this should be our motivation as well. It doesn't matter whether you're called to be a missionary or a merchant, a pastor or a policeman, a worship leader or a woodworker. We all have a role to play in building Christ's church. We're all called to compete. For the sake of the gospel. What are the goals of Paul's struggle for the church? Paul highlights three goals here. At the beginning of chapter 2. He says three things. He says my goals for you. Part of his struggle. The, way, the reason why he's struggling for the church. He wants to see the church's hearts encouraged. This is an encouragement that soaks down to the deepest part of a person's being. Heart in the Greek wasn't just this sentimental thing. It was about thinking, feeling, emotions. It was the center of their will. Paul wants them to be encouraged at the deepest level of their being. He goes on. He wants them to be knit together in love. That, that term knit together in the Greek has the, has the image of a body being held together by its ligaments, strong, and it's cohesive, its individual parts are all interconnected and working together. What creates this kind of unity and harmony in the body? It's love. It's love for one another, concern for one another, seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ desiring God's best for one another, loving each other because Christ first loved us. When we have Jesus' love for one another, that creates this incredible unity in the body of Christ. This is what Paul is struggling for, to, to affirm them, to build them up in their love for one another. He, he goes on thirdly, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now that's a long sentence. What does this mean? Paul simply saying here, I want them to know Jesus more. I want them to know Jesus more deeply and, and, and have an ever-expansive, awe-inspiring vision of who Jesus is, the one in whom treasures are found. Abundant life is found. The, the one in whom you can never exhaust all the knowledge and wisdom that are found in him. These are Paul's goals for the church, friends. And as agents of Christ today, when we think about our church, these should be our goals as well. Let, let me ask you this morning, are these your goals when you think about your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Lakes Free, 
Do you see a gathering of people here this morning worth struggling for? And if so, what will that struggle look like for you? Friends, let me cast a vision for you this morning. Just imagine what God could do here at Lakes Free if each of us embraced Paul's model and said, I'm willing to struggle with whatever I have and wherever God needs me for the sake of his church. Wow. Friends, we'd see the power of God unleashed here like never before. Church, this is your mission, should you choose to accept it. It's no mission impossible. It's all possible when we embrace our calling as agents of Jesus Christ, people willing to suffer for the cause, people willing to serve for the mission, people willing to struggle for the church. Lord, let it be so here at Lakes Free. Let's pray, and following our prayer, John is going to lead us in one final song. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the model that the Apostle Paul has given us of what it means to be agents of Jesus Christ in this world. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to live out this calling faithfully, with passion, with dedication, with perseverance, that we would accept the reality of suffering for the cause, that we would serve for the sake of the mission, that we would commit to struggling for our brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church. God, we want to be a people that make an impact here in our community for the good news of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God. Let it be so among us here at Lakes Free. We commit ourselves to you this morning, Jesus. Amen.